Well, happy Mother's Day, all everyone who is a mother, and uh, those of you who are not, uh, be sure to be honoring your mother today. So uh, uh, we got something very special uh, planned. We're pausing three times nine to celebrate Mother's Day, and uh, I've invited my mom to uh, come and share and, and teach with us uh, today. So she uh, flew out from California uh, to be here with us today. So we're pretty excited about that. She is an, uh, a fantastic speaker. Um, uh, while I was growing up, she was in charge of a ministry that she spoke in front of uh, hundreds and hundreds of women uh, each and every week. Uh, she uh, was sought after by by lots of uh, different people to have her come speak. Uh, she is just, uh, God has really, really blessed her, and uh, she, she has a unique background. She she came from England. Uh, she was, and I'm not not doing any, any i just give you a little, I don't want to mess up her message because she does go into this, but just, she comes from England. She was born and raised uh, in, a, in a Jewish family, uh, and came to faith in Jesus uh, much later uh, in life once she came to America. So, but she'll get into that. Uh, so she has a very interesting perspective on on the Old Testament and uh, our Christian faith. So, will you please welcome my mom? Thank you, Sad. You know, I've listened to every one of Mark's sermons. And oh, Marky, Marky, I'm surprised you let me up here. <laughs> I've heard all those things that he said all these years about his family. All those stories. Even the time that somebody said, I'm going to call your mom and say that, tell her that you said that. But he has his, my, both Leroy and my full permission to share anything that God lays on his heart. So he's never telling stories out of school. Why couldn't I have a baby? I'd been wanting a baby so long. All of my friends had babies. I just felt so hopeless and alone and such an oddball. It was in the 1960s, and they didn't have any fancy uh, fertility doctors at that time. And I cried out to God. One year, two years, three years, God. If I could just have a child, even if I had a miscarriage, I, then I know that I could fall pregnant. And I learned that wasn't a wise thing to say because I did have a child. And on a trip to England to visit my folks, I miscarried. Hannah, in the Old Testament, had cried out to God. And I was just like her, crying. But God, four and a half years later, in his time, gave Leroy and I a wonderful, big, nine-pound, two boy, who we called Russell, after a missionary friend that we had. And then me, who had wanted six children, because I loved children so much, God, in his timing, gave me my last and second son, who is Pastor Mark. And boy, did God know what he was doing when he didn't allow me to have six kids. I raised two McNeese boys that every teacher in every school knew. Two was all that I could handle. Hannah was my 
hero at that time. She was a woman of prayer and she was a woman of courage. And I wanted to be like her. She understood that the most powerful way to change lives was to get calluses on her knees and just pray and pray and pray to God. And so this morning, we're going to look at the life of Hannah in the Old Testament. But let's bow our heads in a word of prayer to start with. Heavenly Father, here we are, just a group of ordinary people. But God, I know that you can do miraculous things in every life that is here. My words don't mean a thing, Heavenly Father. They're just words on a sheet of paper, ash. And I just cry to you to have the Holy Spirit just breathe life into them, Heavenly Father, that they will become a flame that will touch and burn hearts today and will provoke lives to change. I offer you what I have, Heavenly Father. In thy name we pray. Amen. Let's look into the scriptures to start with. Back in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zaph in the hill country of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah did not. And each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to Penanna and to each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and he'd make, she'd make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. And year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. And each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why are you downhearted? Because you had no children. You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Oh, men, they don't understand. Oh, my gosh. So when we're first introduced to Hannah, we see she is a grieving woman. She is grieving because she can't bear any children. And in Israel, in the ancient times, that was looked down upon as a shameful thing, like God had withheld his blessing from them. Because children were a very important social part of the family structure. They were used uh, for labor, which is a bad word to say, but they was. The families all worked together, whether it be in the fields, the children would be out there helping, whether it's the cattle, or if they were making cloth and the dyes, the children would be working there. And also, it was the children's responsibility to take care of the parents in their old age. And I hope, Mark, that you're listening to that part. <laughs> now, Elkanah loved Hannah, but he needed heirs, and so that's why he took a second wife. And the second wife had many children. Now, it was not God's way for a husband to marry and have a second wife. But in Israel, it was tolerated at that time. 
And even though her husband loved her, Hannah felt that she was a failure because she couldn't give her husband any children. And Penina was jealous. Jealous because she'd given heir after heir after heir to her husband, and he still adored Hannah even more. And it was because of that jealousy that she was mean and she was catty, and she turned on Hannah and she made her life miserable because she felt inferior many times. If somebody is just negative and mean, it's because they in themselves feel inferior. And that's why this Penina was, was this way. But this brings us to this point in our story. Every year, it was required by the Jewish law for the Hebrew male three times a year to go to the tabernacle for the festival and for a religious service. And it wasn't like here in Tallahassee or anywhere else in America where there were churches all over the place and you could just choose where you would want to go. The tabernacle was in Shiloh that was 20 miles north of Jerusalem, and this is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so it for them, it was over a day's journey. Now, he was a family man, so he took his two wives and his kids and more than likely some servants because they would be down there at the festivities for about a week. And the kids loved it. Hello, they weren't having to work and they were visiting and they had this free time and they had all these goodies and the women enjoyed it because they got to visit with the other women and the men, of course, were worshipping and uh, they also were visiting with the other men, but not for Hammer. This was a hard time for her. She wept every time she went and she would not eat and she would pray and pray to God, God, give me a son. I want a son. I want a child. It doesn't have to be a son. God, help me and help me from that second wife who's so catty and mean to me. Just free me from this bondage that I'm in. And it consumed her year after year after year. But God has his own timing in things. And God wasn't about to answer Hannah's prayers right away because he had a different time schedule. Now, for you and for me, there's been times in our lives when we wonder why God hasn't answered our prayers. And there are quite a lot of reasons that this could happen. Number one, it could be because of our doubts. Now, Pastor Mark, on March the 14th of this year, gave the most inspiring sermon on our doubts, and he called it, Lord, help my unbelief. And if you didn't hear it, listen to it. Because if you are one that doubts, it will help you realize the error of your ways. I know that for me, after I turned from the Jewish place to Jesus, I started praying for my mom and my dad. And I prayed for several years. And as I prayed, in my heart I was going, yeah, Lord, but not my mom and dad. They'll never come to you. They're Jewish. And God chastised me from that point. And that's when he gave me the verse, Luke one thirty-seven: For with God, nothing is impossible. And on my father's deathbed when he was 82 years old and I had the privilege of being with him, he came to the Lord. And I know that I shall see him in heaven someday.
another reason. Number one, our doubts. Number two and three is our attempt of manipulation and wrong motivation. When I came to this country, I was in Hollywood, and my husband, Leroy, was, a, was and is a professional musician, and uh, Leroy today is in California. He's in a bluegrass festival. Uh, he's even at this moment doing the chapel service there. And I saw him on stage for the first time. And I saw him smile, and he, those pearly whites, I was smitten when I saw him up there. And we started dating, and we started going out together. And we went out for several months. And then he said to me, Janice, our group is going to, on an extended tour back east. And he left, and I would go over most evenings to his dad's house, and his dad would cook dinner. And always, after his dad had cooked dinner, he picked up the Bible. And he would read to me the stories of Jesus. You see, the Jewish people believe that the Messiah has not yet come. And they're still looking for the Messiah. And so he would tell me that Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus had come. He was the Son of God. He had died upon the cross for my sins. And that if I should believe in him, I could have eternal life. Now, I'd been raised in a Jewish boarding school. I had never heard the name of Jesus until I was 13 years old. And I had gone to a, a news when Billy Graham was in England doing a crusade. And in just a one-minute segment, he had talked about Jesus Christ and the seed. The Holy Spirit planted a seed in my heart. And I went home and I asked my mom, who is this man Jesus? Hard you'd believe that. I had never heard of that name. And my mother said to me, Jesus was a good man, and if he ever lived, that was all there was to it. And so when my father-in-law, who became my father-in-law, um, Levi's dad at that time, would read to me of Jesus, I would just parrot those words back to him. He's not the Messiah. If he ever lived, he was just a good man. The weeks went by and Leroy was gone for six weeks. Now you've got to remember, back in the 1960s, no cell phones, no computer, no texting, snail mail was the only way we could connect. Or once in a very long time when he could find a payphone that worked, he'd call me. And I missed him and he called me one day and said, Janice, I miss you. When I get back, let's get married. And I said, yes, when are you getting back? This was July, and he said, our tour ends in December, and my heart fell, because for a girl in love, from July to December is a long, 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 long time. Now, I believed in God, and since 12 years old, I had said my prayers. Every night, I would never go to sleep until I had talked to God. And so that night, I said to God, God, if Jesus is your son, and that's the way I meant to believe, then you bring Leroy home by the end of the week. <laughs> now, if we try to control or manipulate God, we shouldn't expect him to answer our prayers. But God knew, and he saw my heart, and he knew really that I had this keyhole 
in my heart and I was seeking for the key to fill it because I had a restlessness and an emptiness in me. And that's what caused me when I was 19 year old to say to my folks, goodbye, I'm gonna work my way around the world. Because I felt maybe, just maybe if I traveled and met different people and saw exciting new things, this would fulfill what was this void that was in me. But it didn't work because every time I got one thing that I had to go on to something else and God knew that the key was Jesus Christ. And that's why Leroy called two days later and said, our tour has all dissolved. I'll be home by the end of the week. And God called my name that night, Janice. And I said to him, yes, Jesus is your son and I will believe. And the key of Jesus was turned and a floodgate was opened. And I felt a joy and a peace fill me that has never left me. No matter what the world brings to me, that peace is there. And I know that I will live eternally. You see, the point here that is we can't manipulate God for evil or for our own evil purposes. He understood that my manipulation was because I was seeking his son, Jesus. Now, number four could be why God doesn't answer our prayers is our disobedience. You know, God is not going to hear our prayers if we are not listening to him. Prayer is a two-way conversation. And some of us, we just, yep, 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 speak, 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 speak to God. And we don't let him talk back to us. The way he talks back to us is he said, child, I penned the answers to your prayer many years ago in my book, if only you would read it. How can we be obedient, obey his commandments, know his ways if we are not in his word every single day? Because he isn't going to bless us if we refuse to listen and obey him. Number five is God's redirection. And this is one of my favorite reasons. Sometimes God has to redirect us before we can hear what he has to say to us. We've got blinders on sometimes. Sometimes God may be wanting to take us from point A to point C, but we can't see, we are so stubborn. So he has to take us from here, point A to point B first, and then he can get us up there. Maybe he wants to relocate us. Maybe we have to lose a job for him to push us on our way. There could be other reasons. Lira and I live full time in our motorhome and we have for six years. And every morning when we have our, dev our devotions, we pray, God, bring somebody into our lives that we can bless for your sake. And we have a book in our motorhome. It's a journal and it's called God Touches. And in that, just to encourage us, we have written down the people that God has brought when he has had to sometimes redirect us by breakdowns or other things into our lives that we have been able to touch for his glory. So be aware that maybe your prayers aren't being answered because you are trying to push your way and not listen to what God has to say to you. Number six, why you may not listen to the prayers is um, 
our lack of responsibility. Now, God cannot be expected to compensate for a lazy or a negligent person. My grandson, Eric, who's 10 years old, he's a nut like his mum and dad. He's into triathlons. And next weekend, he's running in a triathlon. And he loves to win. And he is out swimming, running, riding his bicycle on a very set pattern. Because it wouldn't be any good for him just to pray and say, God, put me in first place and not do any of the work that goes into it. God's not going to help you on that prayer. You have to do the work. And it's the same with uh, exams that you're going to take, finals. It's no good knowing that you've got a final coming, not studying because there's a party going on, and then the next day, praying, God, help me. I want to pass. I want to get a good grade on this final because if it's not in here, there's not any way that God's going to pull it out of you. The same as if you get in, you sleep too late. You get in your car, you're late for an appointment, and you have to speed, and you're praying, God, don't let me get a ticket, please. Hello. Didn't anybody tell you God gets out, Jesus gets out at 55 miles an hour? You're on your own. Another reason is God's timing and purpose. God may answer our prayers, yes. He may answer our prayers, no. And in the case of Hannah, he may say, wait. I'm going to use this beautiful cake to explain this point. So, I used to make cakes, actually. I used to teach cake decorating at a home ec course in the high school for seven years. So, Audrey, go with me on this. I'm going to make a beautiful cake. Would you like to have some of it? All right, my dear. Okay. So, oil goes into my cake. Here you are, my dear. Have a great big gulp. Oh, no, she said. Too yucky. All right. Well, the next ingredient in my cake is going to be flour. Would you like to have some of this? Please take a big handful. You don't think so? Oh, I don't know. And how about some of the eggs that need to go in? Blah. She's not wanting that. But it takes all of these ingredients, these yucky ingredients, to go in here and be mixed up. And then the cake has to go in the oven, and it has to bake for a while. And then after it's baked the correct amount of time, then, indeed, we'll have something delicious. And this is for you to take home, Audrey, afterwards. Just come and grab it. But you see, that's how it is with prayer. Sometimes God has to tell us to wait because things are not in order or in the right place for us. Some of those things may be uh, some of the reasons that I've pointed out, but it could be other reasons because God may have something much better for you. And it takes sometimes some yucky, hard things in our life so that we can grow and mature, mature until that we are ready for that thing of beauty. And that's what was happening with Hannah. God was maturing her. She had this pressure prayer that she was giving to God. And God was needing her to be a woman of, of prayer 
And so he was growing her slowly. And she went from the pressure prayers that she had been giving to permission prayers. And let me continue in the scriptures. Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, and remember this had been going on for years and years, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle, and Hannah was in deep anguish. She was crying bitterly and praying to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer, and the old Hebrew says, your maidservant's prayer, and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And that actually is a Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow usually was for a short amount of time. But she was dedicating her son for his lifetime. And as she was praying, the Lord Eli watched her. And seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought that she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything strong, but I'm very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and great sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request that you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she explained. And then... She went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. We see a whole transformation happen here. In past years, she hadn't eaten. She'd been sad the whole time. What had happened here? She had an attitude adjustment. She realized that she had been picking her prayers up and taking them back home with her and continuing on in anguish. And this time, she laid the prayers at the altar, and she left them there. We've all done that, haven't we? We pray, and we take them with us. And then we're running here and there and telling everybody of our grave life that we're having. I've learned that when I have these negative things going on in my mind and these doubts, I'm, I'm a visual person. I, I visually take a CD out of my head that's so negative and throw it away and pick up and put in one that is positive and full of praises to God to have an attitude adjustment. And that's what Hannah did. She left it behind. She had matured in her faith to leave it at the altar. And how do I know that? Because look what it says in verse 18. Then she went back and she began to eat again. Hello, she went to Mo. She had the biggest burrito she could find. That puts a smile on anybody's face. She wasn't any longer sad. They went home. Her husband lay with her, and she had a baby named Samuel. Nine months later. And then, verse 24 says, when the child was weaned, and women, it was three years old that these kids were weaned, and I will tell you, ouch. <laughs> Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh, 
and they brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. Now I'm giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshipped the Lord there. Now, a woman in ancient Israel, she could not make a vow to the Lord if her husband would not agree with it. He could absolutely cast out that vow. So the husband obviously agreed this child belonged to God. And I can just see Hannah. She took that little chubby hand and she took it and she put it in the gnarled hand of the priest Eli. And she left him there. That took a lot of courage after she had prayed for so long. But she left him because she was fulfilling her promise to God. And we see that she went from this permission prayer to prayers of praise. Because if you were to read chapter 2, it's a beautiful prayer of praise that Hannah writes or gives to God. God had grown her, matured her, because Samuel was chosen to be a leader of Israel, a judge, a prophet, a man that was set up to bring encouragement to his people. But God knew that he needed a praying mother behind him. She left that boy and she visited him once a year with a robe. But don't you know that every stitch that she made as she made that robe, she was praying for that boy. She was praying for the temple women that were taking care of him. She was praying for the priest. She never stopped praying and getting calluses on her knees for all the days of her life for that boy. Mothers. You may be in the background, but God can use you as he used Hannah to change lives and to change circumstances. And the only way that you can do it is to stay in his word. Be faithful in prayer. Because as my favorite verse says, God, nothing is impossible. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I don't know the women in this room. I don't know the men in this room. But I do know that you created each one of them. And there's a lot of heartache in some of these lives. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that if you have spoken to a life today, that you will help them have the courage to take action on it. Maybe there's a soul here that doesn't know you. Maybe there's a son that has a son or a, ch a child or a husband that is out of the fold. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will speak in their ears and provoke them to do something. Thank you, Jesus. In thy name we pray. Amen.